and welcome back to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. Thanks so much for joining us this week. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Today on the podcast, we're revisiting a topic that we briefly touched on years and years ago. This is Import 2. Carl, do you want to explain what today's episode is all about? Absolutely. So I'm really excited. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had an episode, or it was I think it was um, maybe about a month or so ago, we did that redo episode on TurboGrafx-16, revisiting a really old Season 1 topic. This is just the next volume of a topic that we also did in Season 1. So I like to go back to really old um, topics that we haven't touched on for a while. So Imports was an episode we did in Season 1. It was actually Episode 18. And what we did for that episode is we played only music from games that are not released in North America, because obviously that's where we are, that's where we're recording this podcast, and we're going to continue that today. So every single track on today's playlist, we have 19 tracks. Every single one of them was not released in North America. Now, for the vast majority of this stuff, what that really means is that it's Japan-only games. Uh, there's a couple examples of stuff that's just PAL released. Uh, maybe it was released in Europe and Japan or just Europe. But for the vast majority of the stuff, it's Japanese-only games. So it's really just an excuse to go through a lot of that stuff and try to find the best music because right. it's really easy using Wikipedia and stuff. You can search every single Super Famicom game ever released, for example, and you can just search for the ones that were released in, only in Japan and just kind of go through and discover new stuff. So it's kind of like a show-and-tell um, specifically for imports. So I'm really excited about this absolutely well do you think we should get into it i think we should yeah so let's do it then what you guys heard in the beginning that was composed by katsuhiro hayashi one of my favorites that episode we had on him recently um was a really good time this is from a game called azumo tamashi which is a wrestling game for the super famicom which came out in 92 and that was actually uh, ironically enough that was the staff role and that's the track that we played in with today so it's it, you know in some ways whether it's a staff role or an introduction it kind of has the the same kind of emotion so sure it works well i'm excited to move on to the first track of the day this is from a famicom disc system game and we actually have a lot of fds titles on the episode today it's kind of a focus in some ways on that system this is a game called falzion uh, it's a konami game released in japan in 1987 and it's composed by shinya sakamoto shagahiro takanochi and atsuchi fujio let's take a listen to level one bgm This rocking track is called Stage 1 from Falzion. 
This is so cool. Yeah, one of the reasons I'm excited about this episode, and this is one that we've wanted to do for a while. You know, we had a good time with our imports episode in season one, but it's been so many years since since we've done it. So it's really good to kind of mm-hmm. revisit this topic. Was is, that really season one? It was season one. Yeah, episode 18. So that was a long crazy. time ago. And you know what's crazy about that episode is a lot of kind of gems were discovered. That's the first episode we discovered Rudra Nohiho. If you remember, oh um, right, and a lot of other great stuff. But yeah, one of the coolest things is that obviously these games are obscure for our listeners, and I think a lot of these I think you probably get, you guys have never heard of before. I, I wouldn't be surprised. But as far as these composers go, this is just another day at the races for them. Like they're not really concerned with oh is this going to be released in japan or america or europe they're just working on a game this is just another konami game for them so what's cool is like the music of a lot of these soundtracks just because it's an obscure game it's not like uh the soundtrack is is worse than some of the other more popular games you know what i'm saying like at that time you're just you're just working on a project and doing the best you can with it well that's a good point and i think sort of to tie it in with some of the things we've been discussing recently it's very similar to what happened with the Final Fantasy games, where uh, like two and three um, in Japan they weren't released in North America. So I imagine for you know hardcore fans of the series that grew up in the U.S., when they mm-hmm. actually went back to play those old games, to them it was discovering these new gems of this you know fantastic era. And the same with sure. the soundtracks as well. Um, but really, yeah, it's cool. It's like discovering a little lost piece of history or something. And there's going to be some very goofy titles and goofy games to get to, which will be fun. But yeah, I believe in that first Imports episode. I think we, we played a Final Fantasy V track, uh, which obviously, you know, is, is fitting. Uh, what we tried to do is we tried to steer clear of anything we've played before. So I'm pretty sure every single track on today's playlist has never been played. So that's always exciting. Well, now we're going to move on to the Mega Drive. Obviously, called the Genesis in North America, but for today's purpose, we're just going to be talking about Mega Drive. This came out only in Japan. It's a game called Dangerous Seed. Will, have you ever heard of this game? Never. Not surprising. I, I, I wonder if any of you out there have heard of this game. Now, musically, it is kind of this cult classic. As far as if you go on YouTube, you will see this in certain compilations of really good um, Mega Drive import music. So Dangerous Seed, I believe it's a shooter, and it's very rocking, a uh, little bit progressive music here. We're going to play Stage 3, which is called Third Tube, composed by Yashinori Nagumo. Here we go. big fan of that call and response melody it's just really blood pumping and then that one section is so cool how there's that alarm sound that starts off really low and just goes it's just really effective background music this is composed by yashinori nagumo uh also really sounds great using this these fm instruments this is from dangerous seed 
And you know what I like about this track? It's a mixture of uh, something that's both familiar and something that's novel and different. Uh, I say it's familiar because it's reminiscent of a lot of music of this era, just with that kind of pedal droning rock bass mm -hmm. with chords that are moving around it. Um, so as far as groove and feel, you know, you're getting something familiar, but as far as how he's both utilizing the Mega Drive and also musically what's going on, I mean, in this section we're, we're dealing with a, like a, a complex, dancey little dissonant riff, but what I, in general, what I really like about this piece, it's very contrapuntal in nature. It is. It makes you think about different voices, and what I like is it's using the hardware of the Genesis or the Mega Drive to do this. What I think makes that opening riff so catchy is that it's switching off the panning yeah. between left and right. It's making you pretend it's almost like you're hearing two different guitarists or something. And then as the melody develops, it continues that sort of effect of one voice and then another voice and then another voice. It's not as kind of linear and present melodically as a lot of uh, video game music that we listen to. Well, you notice that a lot in the 16-bit era when they have to do divide the panning in that way. And what that does to me is when I hear that, it kind of makes you really appreciate the, the composition of the riff more because you're right. really hearing the single notes and how they come together and it's almost a better way to hear a melody for the first time because you can really kind of pick out all the parts and, and you know kind of how it's working so well and I know, it's I think another economical thing too I mean we talk mm -hmm. about how s classical music is often looked at as a uh, <laughs> something almost functional more than anything on uh, early video game machines of just that type of writing um, being more conducive to fewer voices. But you can see that present here because what's great is you can have it just sort of the same motif repeated in different voices, but it actually feels satisfying musically because if you look at that riff, you know, mm -hmm. you have this part, this ascending, very uh, robust little movement happening and then a part with just a sustained note. And what's great is then one that one voice is sustaining the other one can carry over with the moving line so you always are getting that rhythmic subdivision but you're also hearing these two melodic lines so it sort of has yeah. a dual purpose that way so it's also interesting that this is from 1990 so really early mega drive music you know because the mega drive right. came out a year earlier so here, if you notice, you don't hear any PCM drums. You're just hearing the use of noise mixed with, it's actually the PSG, similar to the NES kind of style where they would do like a portamento fall for a snare. Uh, and so that kind of early Mega Drive drum sound is actually something that you don't hear that much on the system. I feel like most of the tracks we play have those drum samples. Sure. Uh, you know, early on Mega Drive music, that wasn't the case. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Uh, now we're going to move on to an incredibly obscure game. I wonder if anyone listening has ever heard of this. Bomberman Wars for the PS1. Um, obviously a Hudson Soft title. Came out in 1998, only in Japan. Unknown composer on this one. I couldn't find any info at all about this game, not let alone the composer. So it's a very obscure game. Um, but I was able to find the soundtrack, uh, and I don't even know, and this is really common for a lot of this stuff today, is uh, you don't really know what these tracks are called for some of them, and this was the case. Uh, I did watch a little, I think this may have been one where I watched something where this was the first piece of music in the game, so I'm just calling this opening. I think it's safe to say that that applies. This is opening from Bomberman Wars.
That's very pretty. You guys are listening to the opening from Bomberman Wars, unknown composer for this PS1 game. Some really nice writing here. I love that chain of successive uh, three modulations, uh, each with doing like an identical cadence right before it loops back. Right. Uh, this is a nice little gem. Uh, you know, I wasn't really expecting much from this when I when I got this soundtrack. Obviously, it's like, oh, who knows? This will be some throwaway thing. But I actually think this is a little gem here. It's too bad it's unknown. I'd like to know who composed this one. Yeah, I particularly enjoyed this one. It's nice to get kind of a quirky orchestral track for the PS1. I don't mm-hmm. really think of that as something um, on that system. Uh, yeah, this sounds more like something that I would expect on the Nintendo 64. Sure. Um, just in terms of style and, I guess, uh, timbre and sound as far as the nature of these kind of general MIDI instruments. They really remind me of a lot of the instruments that are used on classic N64 games. Uh, something like uh, Jet Force Gemini comes to mind uh, when mm. listening to this track as far Definitely, as uh, the style and the sound and everything. It's very kind of larger than life, very colorful, optimistic, rousing orchestral music. But still very video gamey in it's nature. It's family friendly, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool, I'm excited to play this track. This was a really cool discovery I made. Uh, this is from a game called Alfaria. Again, I'm just kind of speaking to the, you know, to the ether out here to all you guys wondering if any of you have heard of these games. Another Hudson game for the Super Famicom uh, came out in 1993. This one was composed by Shigeki Sakuza, and we're going to play a really interesting track called Pathos. Now, there's something, there's kind of this uh, bass uh, idea, this bass kind of motif that is continued throughout most of the track. As you hear this, so it's this kind of interesting, uh, mysterious chord progression with this kind of groovy bass thing on top of it. It's a very interesting track. So this is Pathos from Alfaria. mysterious piece of music there that's pathos from alfaria which is a japanese only release for the super famicom obviously that system composed by shigeki sakuza this came out in 93 it's a really unique track kind of reminiscent of other snes music something like um chrono trigger a little bit of final fantasy i even get in this one yeah for sure really cool though yeah i really like the chords uh I think one of the things that reminds me about those titles that you just mentioned really is kind of the whole harmonic language. I would say the combination of kind of lyricism and jazz chords mixed with a little bit more of the wandering chromatic kind of stuff. What did you think of the rhythmic changes? Almost the very abrupt kind of um, triplet to duple kind of really kind of a lot of 
very harsh kind of rhythmic changes in this track. Yeah, I, I think it works pretty well. Um, oftentimes, I, I think that can be an area that is difficult to pull off. Anything to do with complex rhythms or meter changes or anything in um, music in general, I, I think, is, is something that's difficult to execute seamlessly. And especially in a piece of video game music that's meant to either loop or serve sort of a background function. Yeah. Uh, I think that can be a very difficult thing to pull off and something that I don't usually <laughs> try to attempt when um, writing music. But What's well, another I, one of those effective uses of uh, kind of like this quasi loop because the song starts off with a feel that it never actually returns to. So once it gets sure. to a certain point, it only loops that because it started off with that kind of more of those stop rhythms. And then it went to the a triplet based arpeggio. And then it moved on to the and then it really kind of never left that uh so yeah pretty interesting little gem there for the super famicom well now we're going to move a little bit more ahead in time to 2006 for a ps2 exclusive to japan this game was never released in north america this is a game called battle stadium d-o-n one of Will's favorites, actually. No, no, I'm just kidding. I believe it's a fighting game. And what's cool is this was actually worked on uh, by composers, including Hitoshi Sakimoto, which is crazy. This, for me, doesn't really sound like his style, um, but this is a really kind of catchy title screen. It reminds me a little bit of Smash Brothers, t- to be brutally honest. I think it's pretty, pretty fun here. Let's take a listen to the title screen from Battle Stadium D.O.N., That's a very interesting little crawl there. Uh, Really kind of cool chords. Not what I expect from Hitoshi Sakimoto. This is from Battle Stadium D.O.N. It's the title screen. There's some other composers that worked on this as well, including Manabu Namiki, Kamehiro Abe, and a bunch of others. But, Will, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I think it's really fun. Yeah, I like the combination of instruments between sort of the synthesizers and the guitars. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's just sort of that right mixture between sort of authentic rock and uh, classic video game goodness. Um, I also it sounds Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I also really enjoy kind of the feel. I I, I like kind of rocking shuffles, uh, and it it really to me. Um, and this is probably just because I'm such a VGM enthusiast. But whenever I hear stuff like that, I'm always reminded of older 8-bit and 16-bit games that use that feel. Um, sure, you know games like Contra or what have you that constantly to evoke that rocking feel have the it's just it's i think it's very dramatic and it's a little heavy-handed for you know contemporary rock music but that's what's so great about video games is they can be a little bit larger than life and i think that's something i miss in game music specifically is that willingness to just have fun and be a little bit um less serious you know absolutely man that's a good point well i'm excited to move on to this i know we've talked about it it's come up in conversation a couple times 
uh, throughout the history of the show, but we've never played a track from it. So the composer here, you guys will know very well, Janichi Masuda, the wonderful Pokemon composer. This is a Mega Drive game called Pulse Men. And it's, he worked on it with Game Freak, which was the same studio that went on to, to do Pokemon. So this came out in 94 in Japan, only released via cartridge in Japan. Uh, a little bit cheating, though, in some ways today, because it was released on this really weird thing called the Sega Channel, which was an early online game system. It was almost like a kind of pay-per-view for your Genesis. So through cable companies. Yeah, I don't know if it was really the internet. Yeah, it was more kind of like the same way mm-hmm. that uh, TV or cable or whatever It was through, works. A, through a coaxial cable. So we could just say... There was something in Japan with service. that for the Super Nintendo, like yeah. the satellite system. Something and, like that. They released like a sequel to uh, Link to the Past and mm-hmm. other games. Yeah. So if you were in North America and you had that, which I mean, let's say who like five of us had that. Like I don't, I don't know anybody who had that. You could play Pulseman through that. But as far as a physical release, it was only in Japan. So it's I good think enough. This is the same thing that that uh, Mega Man: The Wily Wars. Yes, uh, absolutely. Came out on. Yeah, and I think it's just a good excuse to play music from this. This is a really interesting track. Um, It has kind of this simple, minimalistic, catchy little riff phasing in and out, and then these other instruments kind of come on top of it. And, you know, by the end of the track, you kind of have that little riff in your head. It's pretty catchy. So let's take a listen to Stereo Protect from Pulseman. I think this moment here is when I really start to kind of appreciate that riff. It starts to really kind of get into my head in a good way. Uh, you know, effective video game music has to be repetitive, but you know, we talk about this a lot. It can't be annoying or jarring or take you out of the experience. So this really uh, reminds me of a lot of good background music because I think it gets in your head in that right way. This is Stereo Protect from the Mega Drive game Pulse Man by Janichi Masuda. Very different sound from him here. Well, I think it's kind of ironic, but uh, this is something that we've talked about a lot, which is that one of the best ways to make uh, something that needs to be repetitive work is to make it more repetitive than it needs to be. I know. Uh, What I mean is that, you know, this loop is probably like, I don't know, one minute long or something. I don't know Uh, if it even, I don't think it's even looped yet, officially. (laughs) 
But I, I mean, effectively, as far as how right. we're, we're getting to some of the same material. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that's most effective about that is uh, that there's so much internal repetition. Yes. You know, musically, you have that ostinato that just keeps driving to the point that your brain starts to become really accustomed to what's happening. And it actually doesn't interpret the loop point it doesn't it feels uh, even longer me, yeah. like I, I didn't know if it had looped or not because there's so much repetition um that's kind of the brilliant thing and it's been going on you know since the 80s as far as video game music is concerned but it's kind mm-hmm. of this it, it's this interesting little um ironic element to it's a creating good tool. video game music which is that sometimes you have to do something even shorter than you would think to make something short work I really like the instrument choice, that that phasing kind of electronic instrument. Oh, that sounds so good. And again, it's another example of something that could not be done on the Super Nintendo. It wouldn't have that clarity to it that it has here. It's a pretty well-composed track there. Glad we got to finally play a track from Pulse Man. Cool. Now we're going to move on to a game called Mirchen Vale. Uh, in Mirchen, that's the German word for fairy tale. Uh, and Veil is just Veil, so fairy tale Veil, <laughs> I guess, is, is what this game would be. It's a Sunsoft game for, once again, the Famicom Disk System. FDS came out in 1987, and this is another unknown composer. Now, it'd be kind of fun to maybe just go ahead and name this track, because no one has ever really probably done that in, in the world, I would imagine. It's such an obscure game. So this is kind of a nice classical march. So, Will, do you want to, any, anything you want to name? What do, you, what do you think we should call this, this track? Hmm. Uh, let's call it Robust March. Robust March from Mirkin Vale, composed by Unknown. listening to Mirkin Fail and this is, what did you call this Will, Robust March (laughs) this is an unknown composer, an FDS game, Sunsoft, which came out in 1987, what do you think of this Will? This is incredible it I, part of me really thinks that this is like a pre-existing piece of classical or romantic music. You know, it almost sounds like Mendelssohn or something. It's just great. It, it, to me, it's very German. I really don't think it is, but yeah. because just know, like it sounds like German classical music, compositionally. When you listen to the other tracks, they're all kind of like this, but um, they don't really strike me as being, uh, you know, licensed track. They, they does, it does strike me as being original music. But again, it's... It's kind of unfortunate. It's this unknown composer for this obscure game, and no one's really going to ever know who, who did this. It's really hard to know, but it's it's cool. And again, anytime you can shine a light on something that is uh, kind of lost, you know, we're kind of dusting. We're going to going through these these old boxes in the attic in a way and kind of dusting things off and 
hopefully I mean, I just think this is light. incredible uh, writing. We talk about that video games are influenced by classical music, but usually not to this extent. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this doesn't really feel like a reduction of classical music. It doesn't feel like someone doing an impression of something. Uh, I mean, at first when I heard how you know, I was using those triplets and everything, I I was a little wary of uh, yeah. what what is this really going to come across like? Is this going to be authentic? But just harmonically, like all the voice leading is super solid and really smooth. And it's able to have these very kind of advanced chord moments that mm-hmm. are really kind of evocative, in my opinion. And that's why I picked it. I knew you would appreciate that about it. And, you know, I can't really say that I know for sure that it's not reusing something. If there's anyone... Uh, I don't know, maybe if Marty's listening, he would maybe recognize if it was some pre-existing piece. If there's anyone who knows, uh, I mean, I think that this game is so obscure. I mean, I, I don't think anyone knows really anything about it, but it strikes me as being original. And if it is, I think that's very impressive. So, yeah, what, what, Will, what did you call that again? Something... Robust March. <laughs> Robust March. That's, that's going to stick. But cool. I, it should really have a German name because it's it so incredibly German. <laughs> How about Märchen March? That works. Fairy tale March. Cool. Now I'm really excited for this. Uh, mainly, I picked this for Will. I picked this for you. This is a game called Famicom Tentei Club Two Ushiro ni Tatsu Shujo. Oh, uh, for, for me. For the Super Famicom, it came out in '98, and it was composed by Kenji Yamamoto one of Will's um, absolute favorite video game composers. And I really wanted to play Not a track. Not one of yours? <laughs> uh, I mean, p- particularly yours. You know, you had that whole Child of the Chozo album. Um, oh, you know, that, a, yeah, right. A large portion of that was kind of really kind of an ode to, to this man. Um, and I know how much he he means Fun to you. Fun fact, uh, supposedly he wrote most of the melodies for Super Metroid while driving around on his motorcycle. So very different from me. <laughs> I'm yeah, never going to be cool enough to own or operate a motorcycle. Maybe that could be true for this game too. So this is a similar era in the 90s on the Super NES for Kenji Yamamoto. And there's a couple tracks, not this one, because I think this is a really beautiful, simple, catchy tune that I want to play today. But there's a couple other tracks in this soundtrack that really sound like Super Metroid. It kind of has a similar instrumentation and a similar kind of chord um, language. So I don't know. It was just really fun hearing that. And maybe on a show and tell, I may have to revisit this for you, Will, to kind of, um, I think you'll get a kick out of some of the tracks. But this is a really pretty song called Sunset, composed by Kenji Yamamoto.
That's beautiful. You guys are listening to Sunset from Famicom Tente Club 2 for the Super Famicom, composed by the wonderful Kenji Yamamoto. Uh, really good uh, cross-stick sample. I like the rhythm section <laughs> writing. Um, it's a beautiful, simple melody that uh, has a nice little sequence that changes only a certain number of notes uh, in a really pleasing way. Hard to say what that instrument would be. Maybe a music box, maybe? What do you think about this? Yeah, I like it. I think it's interesting. It really is such a trope of Japanese video game music to start pieces in a minor key with ya-da-da-da-da. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I know that no one person invented that, but it's such Actually, a common I thing in... <laughs> In melodies, uh, in particularly, you know, Japanese video game composers just are not afraid of Mm -mm. starting a melody that way. (laughs) I think that'd be a fun, it'd be fun to make like a YouTube video compilation of all of the times in video game music um, where prominent melodies start off that way. Would you be afraid to start a melody off that way now? No, I want an early piece that I wrote like sophomore year uh, starts with that exact same thing. Um, uh, is that I, sailing done, in love? I've done that. Um, what is that sailing in love track of yours? Or I think of something else. No, that there was. It was. I think I called it theme of haunting. Oh, right. It goes like right. da 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 da. Oh yeah, I remember um, that. But I was more inspired by Swan Lake. Da 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 da. Mm-hmm. That's kind of more what I was going for. But you know, you find that. I mean, that's such a common thing when you when you get sure. really super analytical about melodies in that way. I mean, you're going to find hundreds <laughs> of thousands of cases of similarities in that way. I just though this particularly context of hearing it with those seventh chords and in sort of these jazzy chord progressions, that really feels like video game music to me. Sure. <laughs> well, that's what gets me so frustrated is when you hear those really common techniques and then you hear someone say, oh, that's a ripoff of this. No, it's not a ripoff. It's just something that you hear in music a lot. It's like you're going to hear scalar movement. You know, it's like sometimes right. when somebody hears something and they it reminds them of something else, they're quick to say, oh, that's a ripoff of that. I mean, like, that, that really is one of my largest pet peeves and particularly now I feel like we live in a culture where like if Mm -hmm. anyone can point their finger to something that is a resemblance between two individual pieces of art they want to act like somehow one is either an influence or one is like a ripoff well because you're Um, almost thinking in terms of like could this be a clickable BuzzFeed article or something or could okay grandpa Well, you know what I'm saying it's like Sorry that this uh, media is too malty for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're so quick to make those snap judgments. And no, I think sure. that wasn't really a, an issue until recently where now it's just like anytime you hear that, it's like, oh, this is a ripoff. And it's just, it's really not the case. You know, it's there's a lot more subtlety to, to music and to composing and to writing in scales <laughs> than um, some of those people Well, and it's believe. also, there's no handbook. Like Marty and I were just having a conversation about this like last week uh um and just talking about it, it's like you, know, you only have 12 notes and they're not exactly all of equal effectivity so really you're going to be end up using the same scale pitches again and again and again well and and what's interesting is there's certain things that nobody has a problem with that like 
so many pieces of music end the same way and we're all just okay with it yet there's other things that some people will hear and be like oh that sounds like this and it's, well, yeah, like, it's like you hear like a suspension on a five chord going into the one do you ever say oh that sounds like lapuda or you know what i mean it's like no that's just a really common technique in music yeah. oh that you know sounds like is, western music you know what i think is funny is you mentioned that the scale you're the da 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 the minor scale and you also mentioned that kenji yamamoto tends to write music uh maybe you know humming it along what if that's how he wrote this song was just humming it and obviously when you're humming music a scale is a really easy See, natural I gotta, thing to I, hum. this really feels like a piano um composition just because of the fact of how unchanging that if you were singing it he would probably alter some of those pitches but it's easy on the piano to just play the same notes and then only mm -hmm. change one where when you're singing i actually think those leaps would actually be kind of quite difficult but that's a really pretty track. I'm glad we got to feature that. Cool. I'm excited for this. This is actually one of my favorites of the day. This is from a GameCube um, game. The only track today that's from a PAL-only release. So this was released in Europe, but not in North America for the GameCube. It came out in 2003. It's called Asterix and Obelix XXL. Yeah, this I know is that. based on a series of uh, books, comic books, and mm -hmm. I think there were even some movies and, and television assuming, things. And I'm assuming German originated, I would imagine, but definitely European. I, I don't know. It's, it's European. I watched them in French class, so I okay. actually think they're French. Um, but I remember as a kid, we would watch, uh, they call it Asterix. Mm-hmm. And Obelix, uh, XXL. And the name of this track is Asterix. And it was composed by Fabrice Bouillon Laforest. And we're going to take a listen to Asterix. <laughs> that so much when it gets to this section where it completely changes your perception of what the rhythm is what the meter is that is so cool oh you guys are listening to asterix from asterix and obelix xxl composed by fabrice bouillon the forest well, it's cool. I think this teaches you something about how our ears, how the human ear reacts to sound and specifically reacts to music. When there's no given uh, sense of meter, sense of measure, 
um, your ears just <laughs> gravitate towards whatever they can. And in general, our ears respond to two things, motion and volume. Um, so it's either whether something is moving or something isn't moving. You know, for example, you know, we talked about the counterpoint stuff earlier. The reason that works is in that kind of music, your ear is um listening out for the moving line but in a lot of music it's sort of the opposite case and usually that's because the most busy part is just doing the chords either it's sort of a fast arpeggio or just a repetitive sequence played again and again so mm -hmm. th that's kind of the the way that our ears listen out for that but then they also listen to volume and what i like about this piece is the reason why how carl said that our sense of the meter was changed is because when you're listening to this piece and you're hearing dun 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 that that sort of voice is the loudest part so we're kind of assuming that that's happening point. on the downbeat well it's just my favorite thing because you you think you're hearing the dum bum 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 but in in actuality later on it's bum 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 which is almost funkier in a way like it just gets to this point where well cuz it takes something relatively simple and turns it into this crazy like polyrhythm you know that's going over the bar line and it i mean no one intuitively would assume yeah. that you're listening to something that is in an entirely different meter than what you're being You presented. know what's funny guys is um, as you know when we do the whittlings you know I listen to a lot of tracks from you know usually like I'll find something like okay this is a cool game I really want to find something from this game um, and so I'm listening to a lot of the tracks I got to this one oh this is really really cool I was just about to move on to the next one and luckily I stayed with it because that's what won me over and it doesn't mm -hmm. happen until about a minute 40-ish or minute 30-ish sure. so I was so glad I stuck with this one. Well, it's one of my favorite uh, little devices in music when you can either take a melody or an idea or honestly even an entire piece and just change the context just by yeah. a, a, you can move it over uh, in position ever so slightly and entirely, you know, if you take a melody and place its position one beat earlier in the form, all of a sudden, different notes in the melody start to stand out because they're occurring on either strong or weak beats. And so it has an entirely different shape. And I kind of think that's really what's going on here. And it's it's so fun to get to hear really the same thing, but in an entirely new context, which really makes it feel like something completely different. Well, guys, I'm very excited to move on to this week's track of the week. This is another FDS game. This was published by Konami released in 87. That's a popular year for this episode. I don't know what it was in that year, but there was a lot of wonderful Japan music in that year. Uh, this is a game called Arumana no Kiseki, composed by the legendary Kinuyo Yamashita, who obviously got her start, um, got you know kind of a name for herself with Castlevania, went on to compose a bunch of really good video game music. And this really sounds like a lost Castlevania track to me. Uh, not surprisingly, because it's in a, it's this kind of the same era for her. But oh my gosh, is she just a master of exciting 8-bit music. Let's take a listen to stage two from Arumana no Kiseki. Thank you. 
love this track. You guys are listening to Stage 2 from Arumana no Kiseki, composed by Kinio Yamashita. And I'm going to let Will take the reins here. You know, he's kind of our resident expert of, you know, maybe the technical side of the FDS. He had to work with this technology uh, before. So, Will, what are your thoughts just starting off with the composition and maybe moving over to the technical side? Well, there's a few things uh, that occur to me. I think um, one thing is that uh, Yamashita is able to create a slightly more complex composition because of the addition of the extra FDS channel. It really can't be looked at as two separate things because compositionally, Mm -hmm. um, 8-bit music, music for the NES, is designed and composed around those three voices. So with the addition of another voice, it becomes an entirely different type of music and all the voices reflect this. For instance, when we're listening to that triangle, the bass voice, it's functioning in a much, in a way that is more consistent with bass writing in other types of music, where mm-hmm. it's just hitting, you know, either the root of the chord or, you know, the lowest voice, and it's very kind of repetitive and consistent. Where oftentimes when we're listening to the triangle on, um, NES music, it's really bouncy, it's very melodic, it's jumping all over the place, because in addition to just sort of giving you this broad bass line, it also needs to kind of evoke uh, other pitches in the chord to kind of fill out the texture. Well, it's interesting you say that, because I think uh, the bass in this track is a lot more rhythmically driven. It's very kind of syncopated and funky, but you're right, it's just hitting those roots, it's not melodic at all, so I think part of that comes from the fact that you have that extra channel. What's cool is that you can have drums, bass, melody, harmony, and even a counter melody, and you're not having to really exhaust the system. That's the um, four pitch voices at work there. Will, how about the wonderful fast vibrato on that bridge section? The kind of the Shin Onigashima sound. What I really like about um, that effect is that it makes it sound more like an instrument. Um, yes. you typically, I, I think with a lot of video game music, you know, the melody is trying to sound like a voice because you're really creating sort of this rock band. Um, but in this context, to me, that sounds almost like a cello or a solo violin mm-hmm. would have that rate of vibrato, like a real um, which is kind of cool. It, it's sort of a subtle way of implying a, a difference in sound, you know, that sure. this instrument isn't just supposed to be some vague synthesizer. It's trying to approximate uh, a real life thing. Another thing I like, speaking of the FDS is many games made for that device, uh, that system um, only use this one sound, this sort of preset FDS setting um, which is great, and a lot of that Shin Onigashima, Morisami Castle, that Koji Kondo mm-hmm. music on the FDS uses that, and I think that's part of what we're so fond of. Um, but really, a lot of games for the FDS use that instrument. What I like here is Yamashita uses instrument switching, um, not just in the other square voices, but in that FDS channel as well. Even in one melody, it'll jump around between two completely different timbres, and it's I really think that's exciting. part of making it sound like the band or the group the ensemble is larger than it is oh she's so good well now we're going to move on to the nintendo 64 and play a game that came out in 97 this one is called nobito no mitsu no siraseki and uh, we're going to play a track called moon stage and this is another unknown composer enjoy moon stage <laughs>
Michael <laughs> made a note of it again. Once again, you're hearing that minor key um, kind of crawling up the scale. Ascending scale, yeah. Starting the melody that way. This is the moon stage from a pretty long Japanese title, which came out in Japan for the N64. This is an unknown composer. I really like this track. It's reminiscent more of 8-bit and 16-bit music. It's very simple and short. But, Will, on the bridge section, the chord, there's the second chord is really surprising and striking. I wonder what that chord is. Do you have any idea of, like, right there? It's so weird. It's almost like a borrowed chord, or it's like uh, moving up a half step in a way that you're not expecting. It's Pretty interesting. Well, it's another one of those moments of moving from major to minor on the same scale degree. Sure. Um, which is why it feels so exhausting. Uh, the other thing that I'm noticing is it's in uh, what's called first inversion, um, which those of you that uh, aren't familiar with this music theory concept, an inversion is essentially uh, the specific voicing of a chord. So if we think of a chord as uh, what's called a triad, which is just uh, one, three, and five. You know, we think of the most basic triad to play on the piano is C major. C, a third up from that is E, a third up from that is G. That's a triad. An inversion is essentially what order those pitches occur. And so when I say that this piece is in first inversion, it meant that the third of the chord was in the bass voice, which is cool because you're able to have that chromatic step yeah, up. Yeah, that's really what um, it is. But it's not really going to uh, another scale degree. It's just changing the quality of the chord which is what makes it feel kind of jazzy and free in this kind of interesting in general um i don't know something about that track really kind of hit me it feels kind of cliche and stereotypical but something about it kind of sets it apart i don't don't you think that's a pretty cool track yeah it's that balance of familiar and new just like we were mm -hmm. talking about with I, I forget what other piece it was earlier that we were playing that you know feels both i think new it was the dangerous the seed. same time yeah. i think one of my favorite things about it is the deb 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 sure deb, yeah deb, deb. that kind of little uh rhythmic ostinato over sort of the chord changes i, mm -hmm. I thought was maybe my favorite thing the most catchy but it's interesting going back to that scale melody thing um the yeah, reason why da, 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 I, I feel like yeah. i always point it out is because i don't notice it in the same way in in major key pieces i mean obviously a major scale is very common in melodic passages but not usually starting from the one just going up the scale to the five in that same kind of way with like the rhythmic consistency we're here we have da 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 you know it's like it's starting out the melody it's not a quick run or anything it's like that's the whole focal point something about just the ascending um, uh, minor scale is just like really <laughs> captivating to a lot of composers. <laughs> yeah, something about it. Uh, I'm really excited to move on to this next one. This was another choice, uh, a tough call for Track of the Week. This is one of my favorites. And it actually was the last discovery I made, uh, kind of a, a pretty late addition. Uh, it's a DS game because that's actually a huge wealth uh, is the DS. You know, that's actually an episode we should really do. Remember how we did that Game Boy music you haven't heard? We should do a DS music you haven't heard episode because there's a lot of cool stuff there. Japanese-only DS game called Kabu Trader Shun. And this was composed by Ippo Yamada, who is a wonderful composer who's been getting a lot of work at Inti Creates, um, doing a lot of modern Mega Man stuff. He's, he's um, you know, did Mighty Number no. 9 with... Minami Matsume, who actually, a little bit of a sad note, is I went on the Wikipedia page today and Takashi Tateshi's name was taken off of the composer list. But when I went down on the bottom reading more about it, it said that he is contributing one track. So there is going to be one 
track by Takashi Tateshi from Mighty Number no. Nine. So I guess that's all. Well, we hey, can... that's better than nothing. It's you better know? than nothing. So yeah, Ippo Yamada and Takumi Sato worked on this game, and this is BGM three. This is a cool track from Kabu Trader Shun. This is super cool. You guys are listening to BGM3 from Kabu Trader Shun, composed by Ippo Yamada. This is a DS only, uh, sorry, a Japanese only DS game. Really kind of uh, devious and just kind of badass. There's something that has a lot of attitude and personality to it. This composer, Ippo Yamada, I'm a really big fan of. I'm excited to see where he goes in the future because this particular track to me is reminiscent of some of the Mega Man Zero music, which was some sure. mobile uh, mobile Mega Man music that he worked on. Uh, I know a lot of the, our fans are, are you know, um, into that series, but I just think he's a really talented composer. But Will, what do you think about this track? Well, I'm really fascinated by the use of the sort of parallel fifths on that melody line. You know, I've been taking uh, organ lessons recently, and it reminds me of a concept in organ music where essentially Mm -hmm. um, when you're playing organ in order to create the instrumentation, um, they call it registration. Um, But as far as like choosing what instruments, what sounds you're going to use, you pull out different stops. Pulling out all the stops. Exactly. (laughs) That's where that expression comes from. Uh, But one thing that you can do uh, is make use of the natural overtone series, which means that I can pull out a specific stop that is when I'm playing a pitch, let's say uh, C4, I'm, I'm playing at middle C. What this is playing is a G, an octave in a half above that C because that's um, the first pitch that occurs in the natural overtone series. And so what that does, it gives um, the pitch sort of the whole sound a different timbre. Um, And so, I don't know, this was kind of reminding me of that where in organ you can just press a button or flip a switch or pull out a stop and all of a sudden now you're getting uh, this whole other scale degree that's moving in parallel with your melody. And I don't know, somehow... uh, this really reminded me of that whole effect. Cool track. Really cool track. Well, guys, you can finally stop emailing us because we're going to finally play a track from the game that everybody wants to hear. This is Bakuso Dakotora Denetsu GB, everyone's favorite game for the Game Boy Color uh, by the company Kid. This is composed by Nobuyuki Shioda. Obviously, I'm kidding. No one's ever heard of this game. This is track yeah, obviously 17. Obviously, you're kidding because it's Bakuso Dek... 
It's Baku, so Dekotora Denetsu GB. Denetsu GB. I am so sorry. Uh, Will, this is another example. Right? (laughs) Uh, This is another example for you to name this track. Now, I'm just going to remind you before we play it. This is one that is. um, It's simple. It's it's pretty. I would say maybe kind of like an RPG game. But what do you think we should call this track? Uh, Why don't you choose this one? (laughs) I don't like the pressure. Too much pressure. I'm going to go with After the Raindrops from oh, gosh. Bakuso Dekutora Denetsu <laughs> GB. are listening to what did i say after the raindrops from um everybody's favorite game for the game boy color massively popular game called the bakuzo dekutora denetsu gb cool track though huh this is awesome this has uh really a song form Uh, you have an introduction Mm -hmm. a verse and sort of a chorus um it, it really does feel like a song because even the shaping and the phrasing of the melody it's very vocal and it almost sounds like uh it almost sounds like it was a song first because there's a certain amount of repeated Yeah, it's notes. called After the Raindrops. Have you not uh, heard of it? <laughs> no, but there's a certain amount of repeated notes in places that lead me to believe that there were just like, I don't know, more words or syllables that they had to fit in there. I, I wonder if this is sort of an arrangement of sort of a Japanese pop song or something cuz this is super Who's catchy. To say? Super good. It's very Japanese, but not as Japanese as the next track we're gonna play uh this is from another nintendo 64 um japan exclusive game called getter love cho renai party game now just so you guys know that's spelled g-e-t-t-e-r love getter love getter Uh, love getter love and it is a dating game it's it's one of those games i think it's called a bishoujo which is a type of like a genre of Japanese like dating game where it's really like I think it's just really that word just means like pretty girl so basically you're just trying to woo these pretty girls and I think there's these other guys who you have to like battle or something uh and it's like it takes place in high school it's are, are absolutely you really battling them <laughs> in some that way sounds pretty epic I don't I don't know if you're battling them but you're trying to win the affections of some pretty girl and it's a Japanese game and the name of this track is Happy Smile. 
Of course it is. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> So reading here on Wikipedia, uh, Pishoju literally, a Pishoju game literally means a pretty girl game. Uh, yeah, and it's about trying to, you know, win the affections of an attractive girl. And they are, not surprisingly, uniquely Japanese phenomenon that have virtually no equivalent in the Western video game market. But similar to, to Choose Your Own Adventures, I guess. Um, it seems like Japanese romance stories always take place in a high school. Like, uh, so much anime yeah. is, like, takes place in high school and awful is about, place like, high school for, romances. And for stuff. that to take place, I, oh, wow, I don't want to go back to that. Will, how's your week been, man? Oh, yeah, it's been really good. I, I've been trying a new thing out where I'm just trying to be as productive as possible. So, you know, a new all thing? The, every free time I how, have, I'm how either... How is that a new thing? Well, no, I'm just... I. I all the free time I have, I'm trying to cut out, you know, just sitting around and doing nothing, mm-hmm. watching videos. You know, if oh, I have any cool. free time, I'm practicing piano, practicing organ, or working on music, composing. That's awesome, man. It's been kind of a busy week as far as composing has been going. Uh, sure. I, I've been working on an orchestra piece, um, which I'm super excited about, but that's been sort of taking up a lot of my time. I've also been uh, working on a couple other things, one of which is a new project that Carl and I are working on that uh, I don't know if we're necessarily allowed to talk about it yet, but uh, it's very different than anything we've ever done for another video game, so I've been having a lot of fun working on that. when the time comes to post that on our Bandcamp, it's going to be hilarious. (laughs) You know, going from Mega Buster and uh, Hello World to that is going to be just really interesting, so I can't really say much about the project i don't think yet but the one thing i will say is that this is going to be a song um it's a song with lyrics that's going to be sung by a real life human being um so that's pretty crazy huh yeah you're making me feel kind of lazy because i definitely haven't been as uh maybe as uh ambitious as you have this week you've been working on that awesome casio album i've only heard one track but i really enjoyed it Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I guess I'm being pretty productive with that. I think I finished five tracks for that already, so that's going very well, and I'm having a good time with that. I have been watching some TV, and I, I bought, I finally got around to buying Super Mario Maker uh, this weekend, oh, this good. past weekend. So I've been making levels and playing a lot of levels. I really like the automatic levels where you just sit there, and it's just this chaos, and it's just the level right. just completes in front of you. It's like a Mario Kart kind of a level or well, something. Well, it just shows so many people are really creative and putting well, to spend I, a lot of time in. 
into something right. that uh, most people it, just take them like 15 playing the seconds. game makes me realize people have a lot of time on their hands that's all i'll say but uh i didn't realize that you could have your own custom music for each level like a custom sprite there's like one where it's like it was like a Mega Man sprite and they it was just like i didn't even know that was a thing for mario yeah, the, maker the, the but Mega apparently Man thing, it is it's attached to like amiibo so there's uh if you have a certain amiibo you can unlock like playing uh. as that sprite but as far as the music it's actually just it it's not music a lot of it, it like the game allows you to record um your own audio to okay. put in sound effects that's that's so probably a lot of people are like recording like pieces of music which is unfortunate because i'm playing some of these levels and they have pretty dumb sounding remixes that are definitely not koji kondo which is kind of kind of unfortunate that they're kind of tarnishing that but you know user created content that's that's what you get i'm having a good time with that last night i started uh silicon valley uh for the you know for the first time and i'm just loving that show will i don't know have you got into it at all i yet? watched the first episode and marty keeps telling me to keep going oh, i would keep i was kind of cut I'm... off by uh what's his name uh tj miller tj miller I, I'm not he's the biggest so fan of him. good he's such a d-bag that's what he's so good at no i i love the show it has that classic mike judge um style something like office space or um you know, he's just he's just king of the hill he's he's just the best so i'm really enjoying that show but yeah mario you say that he's king of comedy he is king of a certain type of satire i guess i'll say and it's i'm just really safe. loving very diplomatic how, of you I'm really loving how poignant the show is. Uh, and there's a lot of things that it's making fun of about our crazy digital modern age that I'm just, I don't know. It's just, it, it really resonates with me. Totally. So, yeah, I'm glad um, you brought that up. It's incredibly relevant to video game music. Um, Carl, can you explain <laughs> why? With that said, I think it's now time to move on to the next track. Uh, we're going to play another Mega, Mega Drive track this is dragon's fury i don't know if anyone's heard of this and i believe this is a pinball game because the name of this track is main table so that's just all i have to go on and think it's pinball right the composers we have are tashaharu yamanishi and takeshi yoshida let's take a listen to main table from dragon's fury <laughs> That is a pretty rocking, shredding track right there. It's from Dragon's Fury, which I found out is, in fact, a pinball game, if you can't tell by this music, composed by <laughs> Tasha Haru, Yamanishi, and Takeshi Yoshida. Um, I think they're just trying to yeah. liven up <laughs> a pinball How video terrible game. To me, there's nothing more is. boring than a video game that's trying to approximate something that you only do in real life when you can't play video games. <laughs> 
It's a terrible idea. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are fans of Sonic Spinball. I think just fanboys, to be honest. Yeah, but that's but like I remember a when game. I, <laughs> when I first played that game, it was fun for the first, like, ten minutes. Like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's Sonic, but it's also pinball. But then you realize, like... Wait a second. Uh, I would like, much rather. I could just play, play Legend Sonic. of Zelda. You know, like I could go to a fantasy realm. I like know. if I want to play pinball, like yeah, <laughs> it's just it's, such it's a practical, weird. mundane thing, and it's worse in a video game. I wonder if this game incorporates the elements because Sonic Spinball. What was so weird about it is it had these like you know these little balls and these things, but it was also like there was a world with like with like you know like a shark and like a fire of lava and like right. there was all these. So it was almost like platforming mixed with pinball. Pinball, which is so well, weird. To me, it almost seems like people who are super into pinball looking at video games is like, this is what we've been waiting for. You know, now we <laughs> yeah. can finally have the most immersive pinball experience. It's but the it's next like, evolution yeah, of pinball. Yeah, but you can also just not make a pinball game. And we should be clear fun. that we're not really big pinball fans. This track so. is incredible. Oh my gosh, we haven't this even track talked is about it. It's so great. I just, I'm so, I find it so comedic <laughs> that it's, it's worth noting that. The full length of this track is like nine minutes. This is like probably the best Mega Drive track that we played all day. It's really rocking. It really it's is. Super great. I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I feel bad that we didn't spend enough time. It's prog music. Yeah, my roommate would really get a kick out of this. He loves prog music. Uh, cool. Well, now we're going to move on to another track from that wonderful Kinyo Yamashita soundtrack. We're doubling up today on this game. This is Arumana no Kaseki again, and we played stage two for track of the week. This is stage one, which is also pretty excellent. Here we go. track there you guys are listening to stage one from arumana no kaseki for the fds composed by kinio yamashita i really like the chord progression um and in general kind of the sense of playfulness and fun with all the rhythms and everything mm-hmm. uh chord wise it reminds me of that uh the theme of uh final fantasy 6 yeah you know i hear that about? i totally hear that yeah it's very japanese but again not as Japanese is our next track. We're going to play a track from a series that uh, obviously we should play today. This is Ganbar Goemon, and this is the fourth game in the series, which was only released for the Super Famicom, which had uh, a slew of wonderful Konami composers. We have Kazuhiko Uhara, Yuki Morimoto, and Tomoya Tamita. And I really love this soundtrack. It's very groovy, and it has a really good rhythm section writing in it, and some really impressive drum samples, um, if you're kind of a nerd of the Super Nintendo sounds, which I am. This is Water Moon Town from Ganbar Goemon 4.
You guys are listening to Water Moon Town from Ganbar Goemon 4 for the Super Famicom, composed by Kazuhiko Ohara, Yuki Morimoto, and Tomoya Tamita. Man, this is such a wonderful track that's very fitting of the series and fitting of today's topic. This was Imports 2. I had a wonderful time uh, kind of scouring through all these systems trying to find these um, non-North America releases. I had a great time. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Yeah, this has been so much fun. Uh, it's interesting. Imports two, like three years later, kind of crazy. Weird. But yeah, uh, you know, this was one that's been. We have a huge uh, laundry list of all the potential yes. episode topics, and I think this is one of the ones that we just kept sweeping under the rug because I know I, there was a certain point around like the first or second season where I really got sick of doing you know part two, part three of things and. You know, we that wanted to do more yeah. original ideas. Um, so that's why, that's why this one was in the works for so long. But the idea was good, and um, you know, doing more episodes just means more good music. So we're really excited to play you guys out with a track that was composed by Nobuo Uematsu, actually. And it's another FDS track, a Square game that he worked on, which I'm sure most of you probably haven't heard of. This is called Suisho no Dragon, and it's the main theme of that game, again, by Uematsu. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, and again, um, feel free to check out our new or I guess at this point, new-ish website, uh, supermarcadobros.com. Uh, every episode of this show, along with links to all of our original music, are there. Um, and our cool new logos uh, that we're super excited about. So if you guys haven't checked that out yet, um, do it right now. We're, yeah, we're super also happy about it. A couple different ways to support us. We have a PayPal button. We also have a Patreon page with a couple cool, uh, I think, four different levels of um pledges with cool uh, exclusive rewards one of the rewards being um there's a couple cool different things but one of the things that i think you guys might get a kick out of is you actually get to pick an episode topic that we have to do we have to be committed to do it uh so we actually got our first one in today via email so yeah i think the highest tier topic is you actually get to be a guest on the show i don't know um yes. there's a limit to how many people get to be on that one yeah we have other um, other rewards too so take a look at that patreon page if, if you're curious yeah um, and many thanks to everyone who's already made a pledge it's just been i don't know really humbling seeing all the nice things that you guys have to say and just how how generous you guys are it, it really touches yeah, that us really helps this is sort of the first time we've ever had any kind of opportunity like this to um, monetize in any kind of fashion so we really appreciate all of you and really and our hope and our goal is to try to just keep going uh, up and up and up, you know, in one day, you know, because like, as you guys know, we have no ads, we have no sponsors. And that's great, you know, really for the listeners. But uh, that is something that in the future, it'd be so great to get some sponsors and to get some advertisement. And as you guys know, with podcasts, it's it's never that big of a deal. It's like, it's like, you know, like a minute ad at the beginning or something. But that would definitely be something, you know, once we get to a certain level, uh, it would be really cool to have. So this is kind of just one step closer to maybe getting to that point. One step closer to being a corporate sellout <laughs> which is what we want absolutely so guys we're going to play you out with that main theme from sushi no dragon my name is carl brueggemann i'm his brother will brueggemann have a great week everyone peace out peace out